Hey everyone, welcome to the Couple of Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero, myself, Matt Solarchuk. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. Thank you everyone that listens, follows. We see those five-star ratings. We just kind of read some right before the show. We got super pumped up, so we appreciate it. And if you find any value in this podcast, please share, please give us that follow, share review, because you have no idea how much it helps us. And of course, it motivates us to keep producing this high-quality content, and that's why we have this energy right this moment to deliver another episode, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm super sore from today's activities, but actually, I'm not super sore. I'm super tired from these activities. Tomorrow, I'm going to be super sore. Hell yeah. I got a bunch of bruises. I got bruises on my forehead, my arms, everything's bruised up. But guys, today, we got a great episode for you, per usual. We're going to talk about some drugs. Fortunately, not the fun drugs, but some more serious drugs, drugs that keep you alive. Can we get to the drugs afterwards? Uh, maybe not that loud. That loud. Maybe that okay. loud, you know, but we'll see how far we're going to go, guys. So today we're going to talk about the most common vasopressors we use in the ICU, those being norepinephrine, epinephrine, phenylephrine, vasopressin, and dopamine. It's a very common class of drugs that we use, vasopressors, for, like, if you're down on the floor, on any kind of unit on the floor, and let's say there's a rapid response called for hypotension, they're probably going to give you a presser, and as soon as they give you the presser, guess what, you're going to the ICU. Because these these medications are are really critical and they need to be managed properly. It's a yeah. titratable drug, so it's not just like you're giving it just a one dose and, and it's doing its thing. It's not like a beta blocker where you give one dose and you give the next dose like six hours later. This is a continuous running infusion of medication that keeps your blood pressure up. They don't have a very long half life. This is why it's a continuous infusion and it's titratable and requires very close monitoring. And that's why, like, let and let's just say you don't know what pressors are or you're somebody that's non nursing related. This can be this information can be for you as well because a lot of times we're on the phone with family, and we tell them, oh yeah, they're on life's substanding medication or they're getting pressors, and a lot of people don't know what that means. But we're literally keeping your body alive. If this medication wouldn't be infusing through your veins, you wouldn't be alive because it's vasoconstricting and helping maintain a blood pressure to perfuse your organs. Right. Yeah. So vasopressors' main job, what they're mainly used for, is to keep keep. Your blood pressure elevated. So like Matt said, or Matt said, it's used for, so it depends on your age. We'll use either like at systolic pressures or, or MAPS. A lot of times with, with our younger younger crowds, we used to like to use MAPS because it's a little bit more accurate. So basically, vasopressors is a type of drug that induces vasoconstriction and it keeps your MAP elevated. A lot of people get, get these confused with like inotropes. Inotropes, they don't constrict your blood vessels. They actually promote contractility. So it makes your heart beat stronger and harder. And... Some, keep in mind that some of the medications we're going to go over are going to have both effects on contractility and also vasoconstriction. Yeah. Some medication we're going to go over, we're going to go over some, some like different um, like alpha-1 adrenergic reaction, things like that. And some of these drugs actually work on different parts of the body and promote different kind of receptors. So some of these drugs actually are going to increase contractility and they're also going to increase blood pressure and vasoconstriction. Yeah. And normally any single time you see this, these drugs, they're in the ICU mm -hmm. or they're going to be started during a rapid response. And then that, that patient is going to get transferred to ICU for further closer management. Mm -hmm. And if you're wondering, those that don't know, why do we start patients on pressors? So yes, low blood pressure, why? Sometimes it could be systemic shock from an infection, bacterial infection, lactate builds up, bacteria vasodilates, and your blood pressure goes down. These drugs have the opposite effect. They strict, uh, they constrict. The way I like to kind of like imagine it for those and to like dumb it down is think about pressors like a 
plumbing system. So you have the heart, which is the pump, and then all your veins and vasculature is the, the pipes. So, you know, if the pipes are way too large, there's too little volume in the body, the heart is working very hard and the pressure in the pipes is very low. Mm -hmm. So we have to, you know, correct that with the pressors and that's exactly what we do in the ICU. Yeah. So what you'll be doing basically is fitting that giant pipe with a smaller, more narrower one. So you get more force in it. And it, like this is, this is very interesting. I, I wish you looked up when they were invented, you know, because like people were, were dying from sepsis like a long time ago because they didn't have vasopressors, right? Yeah. So imagine what kind of revolution vasopressors were for, for medicine, right? We, instead of dying from sepsis because of hypotension, you know, now we have these vasopressors that can promote an increase in blood pressure, increase MAP, increase systolic blood pressure, diastolics, and make you actually live longer. Yeah. Unfortunately, so that, not unfortunately, but fortunately, they make you live longer, so then we could hopefully combat that infection. And once that infection clears, the body fights it off, then you're not going to need those pressures anymore. Yes, sir. Because it's a whole cascade of, of issues with vasodilation when someone is septic and has a bloodstream infection. Yeah, and like sometimes like in the ICU, you're turning these pressors on and off, meaning, you know, let's just say the patient's there for a week. Sometimes they're on it the first two days, they get off, something else happens, you diurese them too much, meaning you pull way too much fluid when they pee out, pressure's low again. And it's this fine balance beam that we're playing mm -hmm. to like, you know, keep these patients alive and hopefully discharge them and so they could go home and have a quality of life. Correct. Yeah, so the first thing we're going to touch upon here, guys, is these vasopressor considerations. So there's different receptors that these vasopressors work on. The first one is going to be your alpha-1 adrenergic receptors, right? So those are located primarily in your skin, in your GU tract, and ultimately these medications that affect alpha-1 adrenergic receptors, they're going to uh, decrease blood flow to those organs that we went over, so your GU tract and, and the skin. So activation of these receptors will result in vasoconstriction and increase in peripheral vascular resistance and systemic, systemic arterial blood pressure. So basically, you're going to increase your MAPs and you're going to increase your systolic blood pressure. And then you have the alpha-2 adrenergic receptor, which contribute both to control of sympathetic tone and to local and regional blood flow in the peripheral vasculature. So this is actually like these sites are basically located right where alpha-1 sites are in your body. And it's crazy how these, these things like, like work like this. This is like straight down down to like the the most minute scale yeah you know? and it's chemicals and it's receptor sites that like affect things you know like it's mm -hmm. it's mind-blowing to think about mm -hmm. next we have beta one adrenergic receptors so think of beta more heart related so it works on the sa node the av node and what happens is it basically constricts heart muscles and it activates what it does it creates a chronotropic effect so it actually increases heart rate beta ones and automatically that helps with contractility. So that has an inotropic effect, meaning better squeeze. And then we have beta two adrenergic receptors. That's more located in the GU tract, the bronchi, uterus, pancreas, also muscles of the cardiac and blood vessels. So this actually helps with smooth muscles. And I think at one point it has like, um, like I think beta two is also on dopamine, correct? Where low doses helps with um, yeah. Uh, vasodilation helps with like what's it called uh, perfusion when it comes to the kidneys okay. also it has the effects of um, cardiac contract uh, cardiac contractility in higher doses yeah. and the fifth one we have there these are dopamine receptors so what's cool about dopamine is actually it's a precursor to epinephrine and norepinephrine so if you don't have any dopamine you can't make epinephrine or norepinephrine right it's pretty crazy so activation of, of dopamine receptors are going to cause vasodilation increase myocardial contract 
contraction and then increases cardiac output without changing the heart rate. So a lot of times in the hospital, people with like cardiogenic shock, things like, like that, heart failure, um, they're put on dopamine uh, at low doses. And sometimes we, we go to higher doses for some of that contractility help. And it's actually interesting to kind of understand why we actually do this and what kind of receptors actually works on to fully understand why we start certain pressors over others. Yeah, and if we're starting these pressors, things to keep in mind, in the ideal condition, you always want a central line because they have a toxic, that you could basically lose a limb sometimes if it infiltrates the IV and it's, you know, going into the, um, what's it called, um, extra spaces. So ideally, central line, if you can't get that or the patient's really sick, let's just say you're in a hospital where there's no overnight intensivist, you have an NP, you got to do what you got to do. So some places, I think the policy is you only want a 20-gauge IV. Mm. Um, the place that I worked at previously, they wanted a 20-gauge IV, and they wanted it in the AC or above. So antecubital, where you kind of bend elbow, that's where they want a 20-gauge or anything above, man. Mm. So anything in the forearm, hands, huge no-no. Yeah, because they're so, so visual toxic. Yes. And when it's also really toxic to your, like, your vessels and your, and your skin, is going to be amiodarone. We don't want... It's not a pressure, obviously, but but still, when that infiltrates, that causes a lot of a lot of damage. Some people actually lose a limb because of amio, especially if like you're down in like a metro's floor or people have like six patients and it's super busy. That's where you kind of find that because sometimes you don't have time to you know check on a patient as often as you want to. So a lot of times, if you know if the IV isn't isn't working properly, then amio goes in the skin and people have like skin rafts due to it and actually limbs actually taken off because of it. Right. And you, you, you want to flush your line and check if there's a blood return. Usually if they're 20 gauge and um, below like a 22 gauge, you're not going to get a blood return. So just use your nursing judgment, whether you want to start a presser before they start, start a central line. Yeah, it gets a little bit complicated. And let's just say worst case scenario, if you're wondering what happens if there's extra vestation, meaning the, the ingredient or I'm calling ingredient, let's just say the presser, leaked into the vasculature, what do we do? We actually have like an antidote, it's called phenotolamine, if I'm correcting it, or if I'm pronouncing it right. And you basically mix it with a little bit of normal saline, you dilute it. And the way I administered it, I in, it's um, intradermal. So I took a, a insulin needle mm -hmm. and I was just sticking it all over. And I was mm -hmm. kind of like injecting little doses of this medication around the site to kind of uh, reduce the toxic um, uh, effects on the skin. Yeah, same when I had the amyone infiltrate, we just draw it up in like an insulin syringe, just put it around the area. Was it the same uh, drug, do you know? No, it was a different drug. Amyone was just something else. I'm not okay, sure so there's called. antidote for different things, yeah, just like the, heparin and correct. all that. Yeah. yeah, so the first drug we want to go over, first presser is called phenylephrine. Neosinephrine, it's also called, or neo for short. And this presser is kind of like, almost like your first line presser. It lasts longer than epinephrine. So it's actually on the heart, Contrast sharply with that of epinephrine. Um, it's a, like I said, it's a little weaker, so it's not gonna have the same effects. Like these, these when you think of a presser, you're gonna think of elevated heart rate, right? Or elevated heart rate and elevated uh, blood pressure. That's what these base medications are, are used for. So like the effects you're gonna see with neo with phenylephrine, it's uh, neo causes a rise in systolic and diastolic pressures. What's nice about this drug actually compared to other pressures is it doesn't actually increase your heart rate as much. Yes. It does sometimes, but but not very often. Yeah. So sometimes you might get like reflex bradycardia, you might have to give, give atropine. And sometimes if your patient has low blood pressure and you start him on, on Levo and he gets like khaki or gets some tachyarrhythmia, some PVCs, sometimes physician might switch him just, just to Neo at a higher rate because Levo is stronger. So you're going to need to start the Neo at a higher rate and then leave him on, on that. So they'll be okay with a higher rate of Neo than a lower rate of Levo just because 
you don't have that risk for for these uh, ventricular arrhythmias or kind of tachycardia as you're going to see. Exactly. Neo is like one of the weaker pressors of what I say because it doesn't work on beta anergenic. And let's just say if they were to choose levofed over neosinephrine to see which one they would give in a peripheral IV, they would choose this one. Mm -hmm. Neo is less toxic if it were to infiltrate compared to the other drugs. Mm -hmm. So like in my previous hospital, this if it was peripheral, we only could start this drug till we get mm -hmm. a central line in, then we could switch, switch over to levofed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and you know, it's gonna always differ um, everywhere you go and every single place you work. But that's what's so cool about Travel nursing, another little yeah. fun fact, right? You get to see all these different, um, you know, atmospheres and how they operate. And then you could just have this experience to share to the world. Correct, yeah. Yeah, what Neo also does is is um, it causes pulmonary vessel constriction. So it actually raises the pulmonary atrial pressure as, as well. So that's also something to take into consideration when you have a patient like as a swan. Or pulmonary hypertension. Yeah, pulmonary hypertension, things, things like that. And next up on this, guys, is norepinephrine. This is basically like the wonder drug, uh, also favorite. called yeah, levofed. It's every ICU nurse's favorite because it's always there to back them up. You know, every ICU has it stocked in the in the pixies and yami cells or, or wherever you know you stock your meds. You're always gonna have emergency levo. You might not have neo necessarily, but levo is always there and epi is always there out of all of them. So some of the effects you're going to see with with levo, uh, it's. Primary role is an activation of the alpha-1, alpha-2, and beta-1 receptors. So you're going to see a little combination of these effects. So the common things we're going to see is increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure through an increase in cardiac output and systemic vascular resistance. You're going to see vas vasoconstriction of the arteries and the veins, which is your alpha-1 and alpha-2 receptors. You're going to also see an increase in heart contractility, which is your beta-1. Like we said before, some of these drugs are going to have anotropic and vasopressor effects. It's going to increase blood flow to your skeletal muscle, but it's going to reduce blood flow to your GI tracts, and it's also going to inhibit avoiding and your gastric motility. Yeah. That's another thing to consideration because let's say your patient have, hasn't had a BM for uh, like four days, and you're wondering why. Why does this patient have bowel movement? And he's getting, you know, uh, narcotics, opioids, and now he's on a presser. That's all going to slow everything down. Yep. You know, because in the high, in the ICU and a hospital, you have priority. So before we could... Before we start focusing on your GI tract, before we start focusing on when the last bond movement was, we got to act in, in the acute care setting. So what's what's wrong now? Blood pressure. So it's fixed blood pressure, fixed the heart rate, fix what's, what's ever going on with the brain, then brain or the heart, depending on what unit, are, unit you're on. But both are as important, right? So we're going to fix the primary issue first and then kind of worry about the, the secondary issues because there, there's side effects. But in, in the moment, your hypotension is a lot more important to us than the side effects of these medications. Yep. And, and also, this drug is usually mixed with um, D5W in the bag. So if you, if you are monitoring your patient, if your blood sugar is elevated randomly and you're like, oh my God, he's getting, why is he having high sugar? Well, high dose pressors diluted with this medication, you're going to get hyperglycemia. So mm -hmm. sometimes you want to add your Q4 insulin checks with their MPO mm -hmm. and um, lower that down. And just to like understand the how powerful these drugs are. So I was like in my patient's room with, you know, COVID and stuff. So I couldn't get out and I wanted to switch my lines. I had a central, central line with three ports and I had two peripherals, but I had like six different drips and some of them weren't compatible. So I literally Y-sighted my, my Levofed mm. and let's just say I Y-sighted, there's like three mLs in there. I had quad strength Levo. So instead of four micrograms per ml i had 16 micrograms per ml my place my patient's blood pressure went up from the 90s to the 180s for like five freaking minutes yeah. and i was just like kind of i was like shit man 
I'm like, should I turn off the propofol a little bit, you know, kind of lower it down for a little bit, you know, because it's like an art in the ICU. Sometimes you got to play with different medications to get your desired outcomes. But after a little bit, you know, then I seen the 40s and then the 130s and I was like, I am, I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's always cool when you have like, like an A-line. An A, well, of course, yeah, when you have A-line, I, my favorite line is the A-line. I love A-lines. You could draw blood, you could, you have continuous blood pressure readings, draw EBGs. It's a beautiful invention. But it's always cool to see. It's just when you have a patient that he's on like two or three pressors and he's also on propofol, Versed, and like fentanyl. Obviously, you want to get rid of one of those, one of those sedatives, but let's say patient is freshly intubated, you know, post-cold and he's recovering all these pressors and all the sedation. And it's cool how like they become like hypertensive. Let's say blood pressure goes up and, you know, you could increase the propofol and keep it elevated, right? If you really wanted to, or if it, if it drops, you down titrate the pressors, you know? And like it's so cool to like titrate sedation sometimes because sometimes you know, your patient is, is like hypotensive and he's on sedation. Let's say he doesn't have any kind of pressors, but he's just on sedation, right? So he becomes a little hypotensive and you go down on a propofol a little bit and he rises back up and, yeah. it's, and it's cool. Because so, we do sometimes over sedate our patients, you know, to that point where he's a little bit more hypotensive than he has to be. So he's like, you know, low 90s, high 80s systolics. You're just like, you know, I could start a pressure, but let me bump this propofol down a little bit. See, see what happens, you know? And it's cool how to see the blood pressure goes up by like, by like 10 or 20. Yeah, so that's like another thing. Like we don't always give pressures for sepsis and shock and all this stuff. Sometimes we're just a patient's on pressures because they're in that conscious coma, they're sedated, and we just need to bump them up a little bit mm -hmm. just to kind of, you know, keep them comfortable. You know, sometimes they're on prop and fentanyl. So, mm -hmm. of course, they, they want to be asleep when they're intubated and they don't want, they want to be pain free. And the side effects are that are low BP and we correct that with a presser sometimes. Yeah, that's cool. The next one is going to be vasopressin. And it works a little bit different than all the other pressers because it works on the peptide hormones. So there's V1 and V2. It affects two major sites and it also works on the kidneys. So V1, it's responsible for constriction where it increases uh, SVR, systemic vascular resistance. So that's going to increase MAP. And what it also does is that some nephrologists start these patients on if they have low urine output. So it works on a V2 and that's um, responsible for regulating extracellular volume or fluid volume. So it, it kind of activates the kidneys to reabsorb volume back, back into the vasculature, which in return, more volume, more fluid in the pipes, your MAP is going to go up in your vascular, or I'm sorry, in your blood pressure. It's cool to think about like when you're a nurse and you see all these pressors and you finally realize like this raised blood pressure by activating this cascade yeah. of, of things. And then compared to this one where it's doing this, right? And if someone that's like severely fluid overload, you obviously wouldn't want to give vasopressin, you know, if he's got like super, like, like super fluid, like not super fluid, but just a bunch of fluid on, you might not want to give vasopressin because you don't want to pull any more fluid. You know, you kind of want to give laces kind of pull out that fluid into his vasculature and then kind of PDP yeah. the fluid out, you know? So it's pretty cool to kind of think about and look back like, oh, that's kind of why the, why the physician has this presser over this one. And usually with vasopressin, those are one of those pressers you're not going to be titrating as much because it's usually 0 0.04 or 0 0.03 units per, is it ML or something, or per hour that's being given. Yeah. So usually with some pressers, let's just say levofed, correct? We're titrating from zero mics to 20 mics. We'll go down by 19, 18, 15, 16. With vasopressin, it's usually usually 0 0.03, and then we just shut it off and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So they're, it's a little bit different from the other pressors. Yeah. Uh, going into the last one, the more most hardcore one, if you're on this presser, 
Probably got to dial the family. The family good. has to kind of come in and figure some shit out because this is the fourth presser we add on usually, and shit's hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. So epinephrine, you see it in um, the EpiPens when someone's having a allergic reaction, but it's a different concentration. You're also pushing it during a code blue. You're giving epinephrine, and you're also hanging epi because it works on alpha one, alpha two, beta one, and beta two. So it works on all four receptor sites. And it's it's a drip. It's hardcore. Family meeting, please, because mm-hmm. the patient is probably at this point, when you give a fourth presser, their their body, all the all the blood is pooling in their like from their, you know, torso, right? From their freaking pelvis to the chest. And their fingertips are cold. They have a pulse ox on. Sometimes it's reading bad because they're cold. Their cap refills get bad. Mm-hmm. They have like the modeling before death sometimes. Um they yeah, not every patient makes it when on when they're on that presser no and some people get like black toes and the amputation from it yes that i like three pressures i wonder what happens to be like epinephrine so yeah that thing vasoconstricts super hard like your like your extremities like yeah that blood just pulls to your heart because you're trying trying to just keep you alive and we've had the patient in my prior hospital that was on like three like three pressers for well, like a super long time i want to say like like i mean i want to i don't know about a month but weeks right and you know he came out of it with like black toes, like legit, like eight out of his 10 toes are black. Jeez. You know, and it, it's crazy. Like, I think we had to put beta on it. We had to change dressings on them just because these are some, some serious medications, man. Like not only are they damaging to outside the, the, the vein, but if you wish for long periods of time, this is what it causes. But this is just part of survival, you know? Yes. Like if we're thinking about it, you know, your brain health and heart health is a lot more important than your toes. And, and this is the same... Um, chemical I don't, I don't know if you want to call it chemicals but same would it be a hormone receptor? It's, a, it's a receptor that gets released from your adrenal glands like during that fight or flight moment like when we were skydiving a couple days ago that's mm. the shit that was pumping through our damn veins and when i was skydiving i felt the rush of like these chemicals because my my i got clammy my fingertips got a little bit cold and then my feet started getting a little bit numb because i know i was kind of losing circulation in a way or I was just afraid of, you know, losing my life and jumping out of the airplane, whichever one. Yeah, probably all of them. So the effects of epinephrine, guys, we're going to see. So first one is going to be relaxation of smooth muscle in a bronchial tree while increasing myocardial oxygen consumption. You're going to have an increase in heart rate and contractility, which is your beta 1. You're going to have vasoconstriction in most arteries and veins, which is your alpha 1 and 2. At low concentrations, it's going to cause vasodilation of muscle and liver vasculature, which is your beta 2 as well. And a higher concentration, it's going to cause severe vasoconstriction, which is alpha-mediated. Cardiac output is going to be increased. Uh, there's going to be a change in MAP. It's going to be increased. This is beta-2-mediated. And the one thing about this, it do- does increase myocardial oxygen consumption. So you kind of have to have to worry about because your heart is going to get worked pretty heavily with this. Yeah. So, you know, watch out for that. You might want to change the ventilator settings to 100% FiO2 at this point. Right. And so I've noticed also a couple of shifts ago that I work. So patient of course covid and ecmo and all that right and they had two or three pressers on and usually epinephrine if you have like three pressers epinephrine is the one you're titrating first it has the shortest um, half-life also has the most like effects and side effects so you want to get rid of it before you titrate the levo um, with her they wanted her to have always always one mic of epinephrine running no matter what mm. because um, she had a horrible heart failure and that was actually helping with the cardiac output because it helped with the contractility. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just going to depend on every scenario, what happens and how these drugs are used. It's not, it's not always just like we say, like, oh, shit, code is happening. We need to keep right. them alive. Yeah, the, the one of epi is pretty common thing because I did a, ha a handful of times in my prior hospital and I did it a few times here. So that's what's, that's what's cool about that. Like the patient technically doesn't really need to be on, on one, of, one of epi. It's not a super high dose. I mean, it is epi. Still, it's still like life-saving and critical, but it's interesting to see we're not given epi for for the blood pressure, we're actually given for the contractility. It's cool to think yeah. about that. So you, like in your situation, they want to down titrate, down titrate on the other medications and leave epi. It's like, the, yeah, it's like the patient's going through something right now. So let's temporarily do this to kind of offload the heart, give the heart a break while she's getting better and fighting her pneumonia mm. with NARDS. Yeah. yeah, the last one I want to go over, guys, is dopamine. It has different effects at different dosages. So um, it's kind of, that's why I really thought Dopamine was so curious because at certain doses, it does one thing and at other doses, it does another Dopamine thing. was curious or you're interested? You're curious about dopamine? I'm curious. I was always curious about dopamine. Yeah, okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a curiosity of mine. So like I said before, dopamine is a precursor to norepinephrine and epinephrine. So at low doses, dopamine stimulates the heart and decreases stomach vascular resistance. At high doses, dopamine's vasodilation effects becomes vasoconstriction as there's lower affinity for alpha receptors binding to dopamine. So... The effects stimulates both the adrenergic and dopaminergic receptors. So at lower doses, mainly dopaminergic are going to be stimulated. So it's going to produce that renal and mesenteric vasodilation. And then you get to the higher doses, that's going to have both the dopaminergic and beta-1 ad adrenergic stimulation. So it's going to produce cardiac stimulation and renal vasodilation. So it's actually really cool. And then if you want to go super high concentration, that basically turns it into a presser. So it stimulates alpha adrenergic receptors, causing vasoconstriction. So if you want to like... Like give it like a max dose of of, of dopa, uh, you know, it's going to be a pressure. A lot of times you give this, we don't see this very often unless someone has like severe renal disease. Sometimes we give dopamine just because uh, some of the pressure might be too strong for the patient. So we give dopamine for somebody that's like a heart failure just for a, a, like the benefits of it. You know, it's the, the very cool drug when you think about it. Like when you think of dopamine, you, you don't think of cardiac medication to begin with. You think of yeah. the brain, certain hormones, things like that. But yeah, dopamine is actually really cool. I, I saw a handful of times coming out of the cath lab on dopamine sometimes. From all the pressers, I think this is the one that I've seen the least. Mm -hmm. So I've, yeah, a handful of times only. Mm -hmm. Dopamine, I don't, maybe it's not popular as much. Dobutamine is also another one. It's it's more of an inotrope, so it's not really a presser to be covered in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I saw that a handful of times as well. Yeah, they prefer usually Primacor over Dobutamine. Primacor? Yeah, Primacor is a little more popular. So um, so Milrinone, right? That's yeah. another that's another same one. Same thing. It's Primacor Milrinone is the same okay. thing. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Freaking CVICU nurse right yeah. here, Petey. But <laughs> yeah, dopamine's cool. Like, like I said, it's not used very often because it's not very strong at what it does. And usually, you know, if you're going to lean to a pressure, um, dopamine's better, not, stuff, out better stuff out there. Yeah, to, to be more efficient and not, uh, not have as widespread effects because dopamine is going to give you um, more systemic effects than all, all the other ones because it's just uh, more widely like available in our in our in our bodies but it's just really cool to to see that that like these how these pressures work and why some physicians use one over the other and that's something you're not going to learn right away it's you're probably going to start kind of figuring it out maybe like a over a year in your, in your icu yeah. right because you're still kind of trying to hammer things down before you kind of understand these concepts and why we do one thing over the other but, but yeah, and if this thing sounds confusing to you guys, like it's going to get simpler. Just you just got to like hammer down a little bit more. Or you just got to get exposed to mm -hmm. it. Like you're not going to learn everything by listening to us or reading your damn nursing school book or, you know, you want to go to ICU, but you're afraid because you don't know a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, the only way you're going to learn is 
doing the damn thing, just right. like us learning activities, right? You're not going to know the sport until you go get your hands wet and you get your feet wet. Just like um, surfing, right? Mm. It's all good. I could stand up on the board on the beach, you know, on the sand. But then you get into the water and just the whole dynamics different, man. Right. Like you can't explain how to do it. You just got to go do it. Yeah. The best way to learn is you doing it yourself. Like we don't even teach you so much. Like, just like imagine like how much you learn in lecture compared to how much you've, you've learned in nursing school or not nursing school, but in your hospital. Hell Substantially yeah. more. You probably learn more like your first six months as a nurse than you do like all of nursing all school. All of nursing school. And the way we want these pressers, we started from the... Le- the least severe one to the most severe one so we went neosinephrine like if i were a nurse taking care of a sick patient this is the way drips would be kind of ordered if you live in a perfect world this is the way pressures would go yeah i'll give you the way they should be ordered and then i'll give you the way that they are ordered Mm. so usually it would be neo then maybe we could do vaso levo and epi when it comes to how you know um severity correct but usually they um like this norepinephrine so levofed then they usually go into vaso after that after vaso they go to neosinephrine and after that we will do epinephrine Hmm. dopamine i don't think they would they they don't add five pressers like if the patient's on four pressers where we're kind of calling it or we're not going to do anything more than that because there's really literally nothing more than that that we could do and most patients don't require more than one presser you know, because guys, remember, we're titrating these. It's not one standard dose, except for maybe the vaso. They might want to keep it as like a, like a standard dose of 0.03 right. or 0.02 or 0.04. But for like Levo, for, for Neo, we're titrating them, right? So you have a lot of leeway to go before you, you, you start another presser. Yeah. And we're not saying that, hey, before you start another presser, let's max out the first one. Usually we don't max out the first one. Usually if you're getting up in the, in the higher tiers, we're just going to add one, another one. Uh, before we max out any kind of presser. Yeah, it's like yeah, g- g- uh, g- great point that you brought up. So it's like Levo, right? We're titrating Levo-fed doses, one mic to 20 mics. And let's just say we're in ICU, time's going by, patient's up to 12 mics. Well, I still have that eight mics of leeway, but let's get another presser on. So we'll add the Vaso. And then Vaso's maxed out and Levo-fed, I'm kind of playing with, depends on what's happening. The perfect world, A-line is great. If you don't have an A-line, that blood pressure cuff is going off every 15 minutes on the patient's hand usually, and you're basing it off that. So map looks good. Let's just say my I'm on 10 mics of levofed. I'm looking at the blood pressure. Blood pressure is 120 over 80. My map is like 65, 66. Okay, I'll titrate down. I'll go down by one, maybe by two. 50 minutes go by. I'm looking, damn. I went down by two mics, blood pressure is 90 over 60. Okay, I'm going to go back on that mic and see what happens. And that's just the game that you're playing in the ICU. Sometimes you're diuresing the patient because they're fluid overloaded. So, you know, as the as the night's going by, maybe you'll be adding a little bit of Levo because we're trying to dehydrate the patient to offload the heart and help with the cardiac output. It's, it's freaking cool, man. I love this shit. Mm, it's interesting, right? And then... Like, we don't titrate this based on, like, how we're feeling, you know. There's usually the most standard kind of titration guidelines is you're going to want to keep a systolic over 90, usually, and a map above 65. Because if you drop systolic below 90, your map's probably going to be below 65 as well, yeah. right? So anything really below 65, 60, you're going to kind of hinder renal perfusion and organ perfusion. So that's why we kind of want that 65 range or, or above because we want everything to be perfused properly. Now your, your blood pressure is showing a nice number. Right, and it, it's it's cool, you know, and like I don't know, this is like 
this is like if you go if you think about it in your school like you you didn't think you'd be titrating like this much of drip nope. so kind of have an understanding of of this this vasopressure and like in general like before you hit icu icu uh, like rotation you're not gonna have any kind of experience really with with uh, with titrations okay. except maybe insulin drip do they have insulin drip on, on metro floors no bro i'm not sure because that's dka usually and they go up to the okay. icu if anything, some nurses will do cardizam, dotiazam. They'll mm. be titrating that. Um, that's for um, high heart rate. Um, also, if you have chest pain or heart attack, they'll start the patient on a nitro drip in a different unit. Mm. And depends what happens. Like, let's just say the previous hospital I worked at, the uh, PCU or step-down ICU was able to start nitro, nit uh, nitroglycerin. As soon as they went above, like, 20 mics, we have to transfer care to the ICU because mm -hmm. it's a um, higher concentration. Yeah, besides like narcotics, your vasopressors are going to be the strongest medicines you're ever going to push in your life. Yep. Um, I mean, I guess you get paralytics are super strong too. Obviously, sedation is super strong too, but you're not really pushing sedation. You know, it's continuous. Or that, that, so is so is um, I mean, so is um, vaso vasopressors are also continuous. But yeah. like titration wise, like. Those medications are going to be like your your, your go-to. I, th I think I would also word that like it's the most important to be on top of. So nursing considerations mm. with pressors. If your bottle of fentanyl runs dry or propofol and your pump is beeping, okay, patient might wake up. He might, you know, the vent might be beeping a little bit, but then you could sedate him again. When your pressors run dry, you better be freaking scrambling, calling mm. pharmacy, better be running to that damn Pixis because that patient's blood pressure is dropping. Bad. And sometimes it's damn freaking quick. And that's like a pet peeve too when we talk about like, don't run your tubing dry. It's okay for other things because if it's a bag of saline, whatever, I'll push a saline, I'll get the air bubbles out. But when my pressors are freaking dry, that's a huge concern because now my patient is literally at risk because they're depending on his medication. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Like when you run out of sedation, your patient's freaking out. Well, guess what? When he's freaking out, he's still alive. Right. You know, now you can do a neurostatic. Like, so I, like I, go, I go correct that shit. This, I can't right. correct if the patient's dead. Yeah, there's just a day shift vacation. You know, you got your station vacation for the shift. Patient moves all extremities, you know. He's yelling, he's coughing, he's choking on, on, on the vent. But when your blood pressure is dropping, you know, and then you come into the room and you have, like, barely any any, uh, any of the drip left and you're scrambling to the drip and your pressures are, like, low 80s, high 70s, over, like, 40s, 30s. You're scrambling and you can't, you, you can't raise it super quick either. Because if your blood pressure goes from systolic of 70 to a systolic of like 190, 210, guess what? What if the dude just strokes out? Yeah. Compared to when you're when you're pushing, like when you get it, sedation runs dry, you could go in the room, push a little, little probe, give him a little bolus, you know, and then he comes down. Your blood pressure might come down with it, but then you can always up titrate and you kind of have, like it's expected. Your blood pressure is expected to come down when you sedate somebody, right? But when you're titrating a, a drip of Levo, it affects everyone different, right? So two mics might seem like no big deal, but guess what? That blood pressure might shoot up real quick. And you don't got really time to be scrambling around when you're fucking with the blood pressure. Yeah, but you, you, got, yeah, you got to have your shit straight. Yeah. I also wanted to mention, like, like the first time I got off orientation from the ICU in my, my first, like, staff job, mm -hmm. my, my first patient was on three freaking pressers. And it was, at, she was in her 40s. Um, she got a PE, dude, from, and she was a nursing school. I felt so bad taking care of this person. Yeah. And my freaking presser, one of my pressers ran dry. Like, I freaking freaked out, dude. I was like one of those nurses where, you know, you get out of the room and you have like that, oh, shit face. One of the nurses where I think Jess was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, my, 
my presses are dry. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's it's freaking scary once once it you know first happens to you. And then you just like you learn to always check your drips and you should be always doing that when you start your shift. Yeah. Even a med surgeon nurse, go ch- go check, you know, if if it says 900 in the volume but there's only 500 in the bag, titrate that back to what it was. Right. Cuz then you're going to have that issue of the pump beeping and you got to, you know, you know the drill, man. Yeah. I always hate, I yeah. hate run- I hate tubing running dry. Right, That's dude. like it's my thing. And I hate nurses that put 250 for volume and a bag that has 250. Like, you know, I know you're going home, but just say it'd be the fucking headache and the hassle. Put that to like 230 to 220 instead of 250 so I have some leeway there. Yes, you know, especially so the pressers. Exactly. If you're not going to get the bag for me and, you know, and you're one of those nurses that puts 250 and 250 and you see that there's 30 MLs left and the pump is programmed to have 30 MLs left, bump it down for me at least to like 20. Yeah. Just in case I forget or I don't have enough time. Yeah, just because you're listening to this and you're going to take this piece of advice, that is already going to make you a better nurse than most people that don't know about this. And another reason why it's not only about tubing running dry, let's just say you have a medication that is only from the pharmacy. Well, if the machine goes off and I could put in an extra 50 cc's, I could I could go med request and I have that extra hour, 30 minutes, hour and a half before pharmacy sends that medication to me. And I'm Matt's happy because I could hang it. My patient's happy. Because they're live. Happy shift. Going home. I'm going to smile. Get the laughies. Go to gym. Go to sleep. There you go. Beautiful, dude. Beautiful. Beautiful story. To wrap beautiful this story. One up. Beautiful podcast. Beautiful day. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, anything else you want to get off your chest, Matt? Any, any more vasopressor stories you want to go with? Nah, man. I mean, I have, at, the, at this point, it becomes like, you know, hey, just go to ICU. My patient's on pressers, and it is what it is, right? right? You, it's like second nature to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, First time you're a nurse, you're like you're like freaking out. You got a tight trip, but now it's like, okay, my patient's on this and that, and that feels like actual nursing, you know. When you, when so, because you have those days where patient in the ICU, but you know it's like a ETOH, yes, yeah, or it's like a step down patient. They're just here for closer monitoring. You're not really titrating any kind of drip. You're just kind of turning, wiping ass. You know, you, you give them sedation and you move on with your shift. Compared to when you have pressers and Always when you have pressure, the goal is to keep in those parameters and you want to get them off it all the time, right? That's when you, you feel like an actual nurse. Like, damn, I'm actually, you know, adjusting something. I see the numbers change. It's, and it's, it's cool. also that adrenaline, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you just feel, I just feel like one of those nurses that, like, you know, shit's hitting the fan. I got to be on top of my game. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not, well, that is your responsibility, Matt. I don't care if you were a good charter, but you let this patient go. And, like, your skills really come out to shine. Mm-hmm. And that's when, like, in those situations, you can find out who is, like, a good nurse from the bad nurse. And that's when you have that, like, freaking team, you know? Like, you know, us going, like, to work. Mm. You know who's on the unit. It's going to be a good shift. Yeah. Shit's going to be taken care of. Right. We are that team, you know? Yeah, yeah, shit business. All right, guys, thank you so much. Patreon is out officially, right? Well, I don't know, but it's unofficially just, out. Just say it. Don't butt yourself. Yeah, just- I'm, I'm going to say it's out unofficially, but you guys can check it out. We already have some videos there for you. Still a few kinks that we're still straightening out. But yeah, YouTube's going great. Thank you guys so much. If you guys sign up for Patreon, great content. We have something really nursing-based. We're doing our like drive drives from our hospital to our to home. So we're doing like a little shift debrief, debriefments that we're going through, a little more nursing-based. We also have extra episodes out for you guys, more of just like our... Just talking about our personal selves. Shit and talking. Just, like, talking about stuff. whatever. Mm-hmm. Spiracies, aliens. Add anything to the sauce of what's happening in the world. You will find it on there. Yeah. And uh, shop is open, guys. We're bringing in more products. Some cool shirts going to be on there. Some cool merch. This couple of you guys are watching YouTube is available. 
It's a very, it's a very good, um, good flask. And if you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, don't forget to check out our YouTube. Matt's Matt hair's on fleek. And we're going to have some cool shirts coming out. The designs are in the progress, so keep checking out the store. It's not only going to be these awesome shirts with their logos. It's going to be... I'm going to spill it, man. Don't do it, dude. The peop- let, the, it be a, let it be a drop. Dude, these nurses or whoever's listening right now, they, they've been listening to us for over 40 minutes. They deserve to know. So guess what? We're going to have a shirt that's coming out that says... Frontline Warriors, I highly suggest you buying one. Yeah, because we are Frontline Warriors. Not workers, we're warriors. See you next week. Peace.